Welcome to Cross of Gold, the podcast where two brothers, one a Christian in the political wilderness and the other a socialist in the spiritual wilderness, work to rediscover faith in each other, our communities, and the American experiment. We have begged and they have walked when our calamity came. We beg no longer, we defy them. You shall not press down upon the brow of labor this crown of thorns. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Cyrus, your socialist brother here, as usual, with uh, my brother Chase. Chase, how are we doing today? I am better than most days. We've got a guest who's not just somebody I admire, but personal friend. And uh, we're going to get into it today, I think. Yeah, it's uh, something I've been uh, pretty excited about. It's probably a perspective a lot of people haven't gotten the opportunity to to talk about. Most people, my generation's experience with uh, the priesthood is the hot priest from Fleabag season two. <laughs> um, <laughs> what does that means? But uh, it is. Uh, we're, we're, I'm very excited to talk. We have a lot of topics we want to cover and a lot of insights that I think could be useful to to anyone. So um yeah so chase what, what are we going to get into today yeah i want to uh start to um ask our guest here before we introduce him like you know where he's at spiritually all the training that goes into being a priest um all the innuendos that go in that we'll, we'll, we'll explore but then also uh i've been really interested to to take his temperature on how he approaches his political beliefs or potentially the lack thereof because um, I, I was asking um, Josh some, some, some of his opinion in this last election and how I should approach it. But before, well, before we, we get, get in, into all that, let's yeah. let's let's actually introduce him. Yeah, uh, right on. So Josh um, was not only um, I, I, I could say a groomsman, but I asked him to sort of lead the saber detail at my wedding. Um, but we were roommates at West Point when we were sophomores. And so we had like all that sophomore angst together <laughs> and um you know what we were uh in the same sort of like you could say it's like a um like a fraternity or sorority or whatever right um at west point but it was like the same company for our first two years and so we went through like all the freshman and sophomore or plebe and yuck uh you know shenanigans together so we we share a lot of those uh sh- you know shenanigans is a good word that's a bond for life that's undeniable but before we get into all that Josh, thank you so much for joining us today. How, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm super, super excited to do this podcast. Um, I've been, Chase has been uh, bugging me about it for a couple of months, and uh, I'm, I was a little nervous, but I'm coming around, and I'm excited. We got, there's a lot of good, uh, good questions that uh, I'm looking forward to getting into with you guys. Yeah, Josh. Chase before- routinely bugging someone to do something? That, that doesn't sound like him. <laughs> but to be fair, if he hadn't done that, I doubt we'd even be here in the first place. So- oh, my gosh. <laughs> Wait till but, we pay uh, for an advertisement. Anyway, it's a different story. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so, Josh, you know, before we start talking about, you know, your philosophy and theology degrees and these sort of things, I was telling Cyrus as we were like getting our final reps in, in prepping for our conversation that um, it occurred to me that we had something called a naked sticker in our, uh, yeah. in our, when we were roommates, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but yeah. basically, and Cyrus will fill in some of the detail, but like 
I, you know, I don't know why, but it was just pretty frequent that we were naked in our room. We were always like, you know, having to change. And there was it just, you know, they, they stuffed three people into like a closet sized room there. And um, it got to the point, especially because we didn't have air conditioning, I think, in our building. And yeah, um, it was extremely hot. And so, like, it got to the point where, if you know, we wanted to maintain, I think, some sort of decency. And so, if you were naked and you were that way for a prolonged, you know, like <laughs> an hour plus, we made you like, it, we we created these sticky notes that said "Naked Chase" or "Naked Josh" or or "Naked Oliver." I won't say his last name to out him. But then, if you were naked, <laughs> we would be like, "Hey, oh, Jared. like, put your effing sticker on, like." <laughs> Like, what do you well, think this for, is? <laughs> for those who don't know or, you know, are curious about, you know, the, the sort of ratio men to women at West Point, when I went there, and I think when you went there, it's probably similar. It's like 15%, um, you know, women cadets, 85% men. And it certainly lends itself to a more um, expressive environment, uh, shall we say. But from what I understand, you guys didn't when you guys were rooming together or maybe it was later, but like you lived in floors where there weren't any women at all. Right. Uh, I, I did. Uh, that was, so that was me. Um, oh, okay. in my, in my senior year and junior year, a different company. Um, yeah, yeah. Josh, I, I will, I'll spare you the stories for offline for, for, for yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that sort of, you know, what was just one, you know, uh, roomy story. I don't know if you have any that you remember besides naked sticker, but you know, yeah, no, I, I'm trying to remember, didn't, did we, I'm trying to remember if this is with you or is this with Mitchell Myers when we made breakfast on the weekends, was that, or is that later? Um, we made a couple in the things, room. but yeah. yeah. Were you guys in the I, Grant Projects? Like No, like, we were in uh, Mac Long. Yeah. Ah, okay, okay, yeah, just just up the hill. Um, but We, we were you know, kept under a pretty tight thumb. To... Our, uh, our, you know, first sergeants and some of our cadet leadership were like prior service. Oh, dude. You know, Purple Heart and like, so, you know, yeah, we're I remember my freshman year, <laughs> I, I, pre I prepared, you know, 30, 45 minutes just for lunch to, to you know, to so i could eat kind of thing yeah for laundry yeah. duties there, do you guys there. remember uh mayorga by chance i think he might have known you guys. he was younger than us but yeah he was younger than you that was my um like uh first sergeant when i was a plebe bless that you. guy was nuts uh Byron, Byron, what company <laughs> were you in i was in d1 so it's like uh okay. for, for those those who aren't aren't familiar i was i was in the grant projects which is what they yeah. called the uh the the play the barracks where i lived and it's that called that for a reason it was i kept a mallet in my room by my bed to smash rats um yeah. it was uh an education there you <laughs> go. and what what year did you graduate cyrus i graduated in 2017 okay so you pro so you would have got there in 2014 2013 yeah 2013 okay okay so yeah my my sister and her husband graduated in 2014, so they would have you'd have crushed them one year. Yeah, it's it's kind of amazing how even though there's only what 4,000 people there, it's still like, you know, you don't you don't meet everybody because it's kind of clicky. But did yeah. you guys did you guys room were you roommates by accident or did you is that how you met? I don't because I remember I knew I knew our other roommate before we were roommates because we were in the same uh, fleet company or uh, beast, beast company, yeah. uh, base trend company, yeah. 
but I don't think I knew you until. Well, then, yeah, I think we might have gotten shuffled. So, um, yeah, at, yeah. At God's providence and His fingerprints, um, you know, put us on this uh, world <laughs> hey, one path. Well, it together. resulted in a situation where the three of you were totally comfortable being naked around each other, which isn't, uh, so totally out of character for people who went to West Point in general. I feel like as I've gotten out of the military, I, I encounter a lot more people who are like very squeamish about that um but i have a have a fairly fairly libertine attitude about my yeah there uh, there are no single male showers i think anywhere on campus just put it that way um but josh you even came to idaho um uh, for yeah that's right and came and met family so i don't know yeah there's i think a picture on our family's uh one of our family's walls of all of us river rafting together that's right um yeah doing the snake yeah very good um yeah, Josh, you know, I don't know if if you remember much then or whatever, but I'm interested just to, you know, how you've changed, right? You know, how do you think you or us or both have, have changed maybe since since graduating is, you know, maybe as a, as a bridge question to what we're, we're really getting on today. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so I know for myself, I've definitely matured a lot. And I know just from keeping in contact with you, Chase, that you've grown a lot and, and evolved a lot of stuff in your personal life and professional life. Um, and yeah, the, you know, it's, it's one of the things that I've, I've valued about our, our friendship is we have a friendship that because we were such good friends in college in, in West Point, like I've never, I've never, um, it's not one of those things where it, it's not one of those friendships where it's like, awkward and you need to spend like you know seven days catching up on all life it's like yeah we just pick up right where we left off every time every time i talk to you and you know i'm trying to think what's the longest time we've we've not talked it's probably maybe the first couple of years we've probably only talked two or three times but um yeah there's a lot of other stuff going on in both our lives at that time and you know i'm just thankful to that um we've been able to maintain that connection because especially in like COVID and, you know, digital age, it's really easy to, to drift. Um, and so, you know, I appreciate the energy that we put in, but also just being thankful that even if it's not, if it's a low energy relationship, you know, it's still something I value. And so, yeah, yeah I mean, I, it, I was just going to say, you, it, like, you know, you went from one organization where, you pretty much have to commit your life to it or be willing to commit your life to it, um, at least in theory. Um, and it's very restrictive. Um, and, you, you know, as you were getting out of that, you were like, okay, what other extremely committed organization can I, yeah, can can I how can I double into? down on this? And make yeah, exactly. I mean, even to, I would argue almost to a greater degree, sure. um, you know, so what was that, what was that process like? Why, why did you, why did you choose to become uh, enter the priesthood? Um, which for those who, you know, I don't think we gave a, a, a ton of context yet, but Josh, correct me if I'm wrong. You're in a, a seminary program currently um, while yep. also doing some work with a diocese where you're from. Yeah, Josh, yeah. lay out some context for us here. Yeah. So um, if you don't mind, you guys have to give me the, the head nod if you want to do a time check, but it, it's best, it's best if I, if I, do this via the story. So, um, let's see. Graduated West Point, uh, did Bullock, F.A. Pure Delta Bullock at Oklahoma, and showed up my first unit in 2013. 
Um, at the time, uh, we at West Point, Chase and I, uh, the entire context of my training at West Point was, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to be deployed within six months to a year, if not sooner. And so, you know, you remember this, guys. Like, anytime you made a mistake, it was like, hey, you just killed your whole platoon, Lieutenant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. High pressure for an uh, 18, 19-year-old. Yeah, yeah, no joke. So um, I was I was really gung-ho, really idealistic, you know, joined the military because I wanted to serve, um, you know, fight the, the righteous cause, jihad, all that stuff. And I was really looking forward to um, deploying. And so when I showed up to my unit in 2013, um, which was in Fort Wainwright, Alaska, they had just come off of two deployments in the last three years. And they were planning uh, on doing a limited deployment again. And I was in one of the battalions that was supposed to go. A month after I got there, it was canceled because yeah. that was when uh, President Obama switched from the R4 Gen cycle model to the regionally aligned forces. So we got taken off the patch part for Afghanistan and then put on to Pacific Command where we were on standby for anything in the Pacific. Um, <clears throat> what that resulted in from my perspective is, was, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 22 years old, just coming out of West Point, like super excited, super fit, ready to go uh, to war. And the unit that I was in has been at war for a long time. Um, and so what I encountered was just a drastic change from what I was expecting. Um, and, and we can Almost get Almost like you've this. been training your whole life to do this one thing. And then right at that moment, rug pulled out. And then everybody else at that unit, it sounds like it's really similar to the Hawaii one I showed up to. Um, they're like, Oh, thank God it doesn't matter. I don't want to do that. And you're like, whoa, that's what I've been do trying to do. Yeah, yeah. I like to say it, it was it was like I was training for the Super Bowl and then the Super Bowl was canceled. But what I encountered was uh, just a lot of dysfunction um, on, a, on a personal and, and unit level. Um, just as an example, like enlisted NCOs, uh, like sergeants in the army. Yeah, sergeants in the army legitimately like bad mouthing officers in front of lower enlisted, like just massive dysfunction. Um, there's a lot of alcoholism, a lot of uh, just pretty basic misconduct, and a lot of of uh, uh, out of regulations, height and weight standards. And so you know, I get this, I get here and I'm in the new lieutenant and, and, you know, I'd always been told like, Hey, listen to your NCOs, just listen, you're in charge, but you have to listen to what they, what they say and, and go with, you know, what their, their wisdom is because they've been in the army more than you have. And it was, gosh, it was hard. Um, you know, I, 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 I knew what the right was supposed to be. I knew what the regulations said, but then I encountered all these people in real life that just, what's possible for them to meet anywhere near my expectations. And granted, I was a very young idealistic tenant. Sure. So um, time goes on um, and I get more and more frustrated um, with my role in the military and my prospective future as an officer. 
based on some of the officer conduct that I had seen about who gets promoted and, and, and whatnot. Um, while at the same time, uh, I find myself as a platoon leader um, having these conversations with my soldiers and recognizing that these guys don't need a boss. They don't need a kick in the ass to get them to show up to work on time. These guys need real help, like yeah. legitimate PTSD, like their families are broken and they're trying to repair their relationships at home. And that's what's all in their mind. I can see it in their eyes when they're at work. They're like, you know, you know, they're, like, they're there, but they're like mentally checked out. Yeah, I can see that. And so I'm like, come on, man. What, what, Still what leadership, but a radically different form than I imagine you would have thought if you were leading troops in Afghanistan. Right. Well, yeah, because like, you know, in Afghanistan, it's always you're focused. You're focused on the mission because that's like the, the priority, right? Whereas, you know, in Garrison, there's a lot of different priorities that are constantly changing but ultimately you have to work with the people you have and so i i recognized in myself kind of this desire to be more of a spiritual father to these these men especially the lower enlisted because they come from a lot of mine came from pretty tough backgrounds um and so i was like okay um maybe maybe I should be a chaplain like that seems like more a better fit for me than trying to be a field artillery officer because I was pretty um disenfranchised with the field artillery branch and so I you know and and try to keep this a little bit short but at the same time I had been uh started going back to church I was not a a, a practicing catholic at west point um I was not super involved in my faith and and um part of the what drew me back was i was so frustrated with what was going on i was like i need something that's real something that's true something that's good because what i thought was like i was come to the army to do good and what i was encountering was was not matching that um so at about so the desire to serve at least in a you know sort of abstract sense never really waned for you um but it was just sort of transformed by those experiences yeah it it was it was it was the method you know i I guess i was i was caught up in the uh you know the band of brothers greatest generation like you know i'm in the u.s army and i represent a force for good or you know what the the commercials like i wanted to i wanted to give give my life, give my body for something that was going to result in a better world. Um, So I was thinking to myself, okay, yeah, you know, I have this desire to be a chaplain and uh, none of the, um, none of the the Protestant chaplains that I had encountered were, uh, I'd be charitable with this, were very approachable. (laughs) Um, how to be charitable <laughs> with this i'm going to use yeah. that phrase more frequently how could i be they, charitable with this? <laughs> yeah they were it was just it was you know they they had a tough time relating with soldiers like you know they they knew a little bit of their faith and they had a good message but they didn't really connect with soldiers and and when i when i talked to some you know they they weren't really interested in in listening to me they were just you know wanted to talk about Jesus and stuff. So there wasn't wasn't all that a lot of connection there with some of the chaplains I had. However, I was like, okay, I you know I see what you do. I could do your job, 
and I think I could do it better. So let's let's continue this journey. Like, what does it take to be a chaplain? I was like, okay, what does it take to be a chaplain? So I was like, I'm Catholic, so I probably should go talk to a Catholic chaplain and figure out, you know, figure out how that works. Yeah. So I go, I go find the one Catholic chaplain in all of Fort Wainwright, all of North Carolina. <laughs> and uh, for those who don't know, Fort Wainwright is. It's in it's in the boonies. It's Jones. in the middle of Alaska. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's not a particularly populated area. I'm surprised there was a Catholic chaplain there. Continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I talked to him. He was like, "How do you become a chaplain?" Well, first you have to become a priest. And I was like, "Time out. I don't want to become a priest. I want to get married and have kids and stay in the army. So how do I uh, be a chaplain and still get married?" He's like, "Well." are you Anglican? I was like, no, I was baptized last cat. And so he's like, well, then you can't get, you can't get, uh, you can't be a chap. I was like, well, what about being a deacon? Like deacons are, are clergy. They can't, they be, um, you know, chaplains. And he's like, well, no, because deacons aren't qualified to celebrate the Eucharist or hear confession, which are the two most important things for soldiers. Hmm. So I was like, Hmm shit can't get married if i want to be a chaplain that's a much that's a much bigger question see i didn't know that i didn't know that i guess like i mean not that i'm surprised that you wanted to get married and all of that but that um that you weren't like a practicing catholic uh during your time at west point and that this was i i just was i was surprised to hear that that's your motivation that's yeah a little bit of color on josh right drives a harley likes to work out you know uh hunts you know caribou He's a red-blooded uh, American male. Yeah, that's, that's, um, uh, and that's a compliment in this version coming from Cyrus. It typically isn't, but I think he means <laughs> that as a. <laughs> um, hey, it's yeah. a, you know, it's kindred spirit. I, I yeah, guess. continue, Josh. Yeah, we. Yeah, there's there's another story behind the whole like practicing at West Point too, because uh, real quick, one of our classmates, Chase, is actually in the seminary with me, and he was super involved in the Catholic Church at West Point. And when we met eventually, we were like, oh, you went to West Point? Catholic. And I was like, yeah, but I never participated in anything because I just thought you were a bunch of hypocritical D-bags. So <laughs> I, I was never there. Yeah. But um, anyways. Okay, so, okay, so yeah, yeah. Take us to, from, from there to here, and then I want to start quizzing you on what's going on, where you're at. Yeah, okay, so... Um, Okay, so I got to the point where I was like, all right, priesthood. That's a big thing. So I was like, I was, and, and it kept, it kept like eating at me. So I was like, okay, I need, to, I need to talk this more. I'm like, I need to give this a real shot. And so I talked to the chaplain recruiter for the army. And he's like, I can get you into the chat, in the seminary by the fall. But if you discern out, you have to go back to the army and finish your commitment. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to finish what I started in the army and then, you know, figure out this whole priesthood celibacy thing free and clear of any uh, obligation right so um sorry this is kind of a long story but uh, it's i promise it's it it feeds into what i'm no no trying, I'm to, get, trying to get to um so i respect your decision by the way to like finish your commitment there and then deal with that separately you know you could have tried to pull a twofer but you didn't yeah yeah thank you and and it's we can get into this in the second half when we get into like citizenship and faith and church state, but it's, it's, it's doubly frustrating because the federal government, the army doesn't always like 
smooth transition with the church and we can get into that later but um you told me i could get in the fall and i wanted to to finish what i started so i did that during that time i continued to to pray about it um really got more involved in my parish um found a really good uh group of men um that really introduced me how to pray and how to be a good christian um in, in the truest sense of like actually letting the word of God inform your life. Because I would have these questions about moral stuff in the army and I had really good friends like that. I, you know, I, I know I give my life to them, but when I would bring up these questions, like, Hey, doesn't this bother you? This is kind of like a moral thing for me. They would be like, no dude, that's, that's just the way it is. Just, just, you know, shut up and color. Right. Um, so got involved in my parish. Easier to not think about. Right, exactly. Easier to not think about and nobody else really cares. So why do you care? Just like you're, you're creating more work for yourself. Yeah. Um, and I met with, uh, the vocation director who vocation director is a priest who, um, helps young men if they're thinking about coming a pre becoming priests for a diocese or a religious order. Real quick, um, so in order to become a priest chaplain in the military, you have to be ordained for another diocese or religious order. So every priest that's in the military is there on loan from another diocese or religious order. So they don't actually own any of your priests. So, so the Baptists, Southern Baptists, send their people into the military, whereas like someone from a particular diocese in the Catholic church is given to the military for a time or whatever. Correct. Correct. I'm, I'm, a, I will be assigned to the archdiocese for the military service and that'll be my assignment. And, and my promises of obedience to my Bishop are ultimately supersede that of the U S government. So just that's mm. how that works. They have a house in Fairbanks the diocese does that. So are you guys familiar with the term what a diocese is? First of all, I guess you should clarify. My no. understanding is it's, uh, yeah, I, you, you explain it. <laughs> okay. My understanding is limited. Yeah, so it's, it's a, uh, think of it like a province or a state. It's a boundary, but it applies just to the church hierarchy. So every diocese has a bishop and every Catholic in there, it, you know, they follow him. He's their, he's their shepherd, he's their leader. A bishop is the only one who could ordain priests. So all the priests in a diocese who are responsible for being pastors at parishes, they answer to the bishop and, and so forth. That's and I the, guess the bishop answers to the cardinal. Uh, uh, the bishop, actually, the, all the bishops answer to the pope. Got it. Oh. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yep. Yeah, bishop's nope. a big deal. Okay. Yeah. Pope, pope is the only one who can approve anyone being consecrated a bishop. Wow. Okay. So every, every, every bishop is approved by the pope. So, yeah. Um, anyways, they have a house in Fairbanks for men who are thinking about uh, priesthood, but not ready to go to seminary. So it's designed for like college students who are, are working in school and have part-time jobs. And then you live in the house of the priest and you share meals with them and pray. And at the time, uh, you know, I was in communication with them and they had invited me to move into this house. I turned them down twice because I didn't think I could live up to their expectations as far as uh, communal life and prayer because I was still in active duty in the Army. 
Um, but finally, the third time, they took me in to see the bishop. And it just so happened that the bishop of Fairbanks is a retired Air Force chaplain who had deployed with the army multiple times. And he sat me down. He's like, hey, I, you know, we're not, we're not inviting you to go to seminary. We're not inviting you to, we're not saying you're going to be a priest. We're just inviting you to come live with us, have a room with us. You don't, you know, you st I understand you're still in the army, still actively understand all your obligations and commitments. We just want you to be around so that we can have, you know, honest conversations about and get to know you some better. And I was like, that sounds really cool. Um, I'll do it. And that was a, that was a really big step for me. Yeah. Moving there. in with people who are really seriously considering dedicating their entire life to God. Yeah. 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 Sort of a preview um, of what it might be like. You know? Yeah. Right. And so, so getting back to where I was before, you know, being a non-practicing Catholic and, and growing in my faith, um, my image of the priesthood was never very robust. I didn't know very many priests. I knew a few growing up. They were, you know, we'd, they, my family would invite them over to our house, but I, I never knew anyone on a personal level. Um, and so the, my image of the associated with priesthood was always, you know, I see him at mass see him at church they're always you know what do priests do all day i don't know they probably just celebrate mass and sit around church and pray all the time like yeah. that's much, you know <laughs> what i do yeah. and what this house allowed me to experience was uh seeing a priest with his hair down like and seeing what he does when he's at home in his slippers eating you know eating breakfast drinking coffee yeah. or you know and how he's just like a normal guy who just happens to be a priest life behind the collar a little bit exactly Ooh. exactly yeah that's, that's a good way to put it and so and that was like totally eye-opening for me because <clears throat> as as you say like the the red red-blooded american like i had always associated like uh to be a priest and and, and give your life to the church as something that was contra to like authentic masculinity. In the yeah, almost that, like effeminate, right? Like you get ready to wear a sweater for the rest of your life. Right, yeah. I, <laughs> you know, when I showed up at seminary, I was like, all right, Lord, if you are calling to me, me to be a church nerd and that's what you think will make me happy because I can glorify your will, like I'm willing to do it. And then I showed up and he said, no, you don't, you don't need to give up your motorcycle and your guns and your hunting and your hockey skates. Like I want all of that. I want all of you. So um i lived with i lived at that house for about six months and uh i was only there for about three because we deployed to ntc and came back during that time um and in that time I, it became very clear to me like okay if i don't go to seminary i'm always gonna wonder if if that was what i was supposed to do like it right. became it, it wasn't something like i wanted to do it was just like I have to, I have to give it a real shot. Like I have to, like, I have to go there and try it on and be like, all right, Lord, I tried, you know, um, thanks, but I'm called to marriage, you know? Yeah. So I got to that point and I was like, okay, so give me the application, start the application process. Uh, the application process is fairly lengthy. Um, and at the time I was also in the process of getting out of the army. So I had essentially five different packets going on at the same time. I was applying to the diocese, applying to the seminary, uh, getting out of the army and applying to the uh, Chaffee candidate program. Yeah, which guys, for, for anyone who's ever, you know, 
or who has never gotten out of the army. It's a, it's a real process. They don't don't let you go easy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, by the grace of God, like literally I, I, I can't underestimate this. All of those packets went through in one shot, like no returns went straight through it was like super easy and it was, it was like that doesn't happen in yeah planets aligning sure um yeah so then um oh also by the way as a part of that there's a there's a very extensive psychological examination to be entered to the priesthood which i figured that might be another thing that like might gig me and they're like nope you're you're good just you know, crazy I, enough. And I, was like, I was like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, nope, you're normal, fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're, you know, you want to give up sex for the rest of your life. That's normal. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah I, I, not that we have to go into that right now, but I mean, that's definitely something that sounds like was important to you, not just sex, but like, you know, it, like being able Marriage, to have man. children. Having family, yeah. family, and, and was that like kind of the final sticking point that you had to get over or the, the mental obstacle? So to be completely honest, some days, not all, it's an episode. Some days I think priesthood is a cop-out mm. because I have family members and friends who are married and have shared with me some of the most intimate struggles in marriage. And, uh, particularly just like um some of the some of the damage that that divorce has had on families um and i've always had like i've always had a desire to be a dad more than i've had a desire to be a husband and Mm. and that's slowly like and don't get me wrong i definitely like dated it and and gave it a real shot but it was never um i can appreciate the um i can appreciate some of the easy parts of celibacy um and just just as an example i'm very familiar with like coming home from deployment and coming into an empty house where i live alone and just kind of that loneliness that kind of crashes in on me that i think is more um less less painful than if I was in a marriage that went bad um, because I've talked to some people who you know they're in a committed relationship and they they made the promises to God and they've got children that they care about but they do not have a healthy emotional relationship with their spouse and so you know that results in like sleeping next to someone that you still feel lonely. Just, yeah you're just it's more lonely yeah you, you understand the lack of it and so um yeah, I, but you know, Josh, I, I'd also like you to talk maybe just a second too, because I've heard you before a couple times, even on this topic. On the other side of that, like, and certainly St. Paul says, you know, better to be single than married for a variety of reasons. But like, um, you know, I was kind of taken by Mother Teresa some of her letters on this when I was, you know, Josh has sent me a number of from the Catechism to some other sources that I've, you know, looked at as he's going through his journey, and like there is a well, tell me, you, you, please develop maybe a certain extra closeness and, and, and feltness with God when you're not, uh, for lack of a better word, preoccupied with a spouse or, you know, a, a relationship, girlfriend, boyfriend. 
Yeah. So and all sure. your fellowship that you have in your life is with other people who are either, you know, in, in the church's orbit or in, in that thing, or um, not, maybe not all, but a, a significant portion, like when you're living at that house is with all other people who are, you know, interested in the same thing and talking about the same things and all that. So it, I imagine there's this, a different cl- closeness that you get from those sort of platonic relationships. Yeah. So gosh, there's so much, so much to go into there. Um, so there's definitely, yeah, there's definitely a shared uh, fraternity aspect, priestly fraternity, like, and, and you see, you think monasteries, right? So like all the celibate monks, all the celibate nuns, they have that shared commitment, that shared relationship with God that mm. I have dedicated my whole life and given my whole life to God. And we share that in common um similar like being in the army like we gave our you know we said yes to the army in, in a way um but that doesn't uh i don't want to say that that makes those relationships more personal and more uh in depth than like my relationship with my sisters who are married um you know we have i have great personal relationship with married couples even even probably some more so than some of my seminarian brothers and priest friends um, and that's actually quite a privilege because, um, you know, for them to be able to share their, their marital struggles with me, it's, uh, analogous to some of my struggles with God. So mm. you know, the Catholic church teaches, um, it, I can't remember what, uh, what, you chase you. You're better at scripture than me. You probably know the, the passage, but where the Pharisees try to trap the Lord on, on the woman who has seven husbands, and they ask who's whose husband uh, is she? Husband in heaven. In, in the everlasting, yeah. Yeah, and so for for Catholics, the celibate vocation is a prefigurement of heaven, in the sense that in heaven there are no marriages. Everyone will be in perfect communion with God and with each other. So as a, as a married couple, your specific vocation, so say I'm, I'm married to my wife, I am called to love God through her. God has given me her, and I am called to love her. Mm. Love God through her. So to sh- show God's love through your actions. I mean, as, to as Christ will God's church. love through her actions, those sorts of things. That's exactly. sort of how I imagine it, at least. Yep, yep. So, and... and Chase, you can probably speak to this, but like the self-sacrificial love, like the, the, the love that you express for your spouse is not always uh, roses and chocolate. Sometimes it's like getting up in the middle of the night and changing diapers or cleaning out the refrigerator. Yes? Yeah. I mean, as, as Christ loved the church, as, he's, as Paul's command to husbands, um, and that is tough love sometimes. That is a pursuant love, a, a persistent love, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, the other, the other thing about, about the celibacy and it ties into my, my call for service in the military is Chase and I were, were of the same cloth in the sense that we share the same intensity, I think in a lot of ways. (laughs) And to me, I'm very attracted to like the movie 300, you know, Spartan, they give their entire life body soul they don't think they eat sleep and breathe like for war and so the concept of such a total holistic commitment 
is, I think, something very, very beautiful. Um, well, that's actually something that like I kind of wanted to get into a little bit. So it, I, I, because I think that is a very alien concept to most Americans. Extremism um, is almost synonymous with evil. Yeah, I mean, self, yeah, self, well, not even just extremism, but like, you know, self-sacrifice, like our everything and our culture tells us like, no, you should be focused on yourself. Um, and like, from a personal perspective, like I, if like, you know, I'm a socialist or a communist. And like, if I had an organization like that, that I could feel like I could give it to, I probably would seek that out. That doesn't really exist for me in the same way as like, you know, the Catholic church exists. But um, that is, I think, I don't know, like, can you, can you expound a little bit on, on like the benefits of being part of something like that? You can say no. Yeah, yeah not, not just answer. benefits, but just yeah. like, I guess your thoughts what? on it. Uh, yeah, and while you're thinking, yeah. Josh. So, okay, so I'll, I'll, preface, I'll preface with this. So, and I, so I'm a big fan of St. Maximilian Kolbe. He's a pretty famous saint. He was, he was a Franciscan priest from Poland. He was killed in Auschwitz in uh, World War II, and, and he volunteered to take the place of another man for the gas chamber. But prior to uh, him being killed, um, he ran a, uh, a friary, I think a monastery in Poland, where they had a lot of apostles. There was a seminary there, and they put out a newspaper, and they had a lot of different stuff going on. But it was all uh, Franciscan monks monks, excuse me, and friars who had made uh, promises of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And there was a uh, communist official that came to do a visit for something. I can't remember his name at the time, but he said that this is the best form of communism that I've ever seen, like lived out in reality. Mm -hmm. and, that's, and that's true. And, and to the sense that the Catholic Church, you know, shows that the, the way that socialism works is in a monastery and in heaven, because that's, that's where it can work, where everybody's united to God and united in the, in the promises of poverty, chastity, and obedience. So what, what I would say to you, Cyrus, is um, it's, it's, it's what gives us unity in the sense that um, I'm not, I'm not going to be a diocesan priest but there are other organizations. So, so for example, Society of Jesus, commonly known as the Jesuits. Uh, they don't take a vow of poverty, but they take a vow of everything material in common. So they don't have personal goods per se. Right. Everything is given to the organization and then the organization distributes it back down to them. Mm. Um, and that works because they take solemn vows of, uh, chastity and obedience, obedience to the, to the um, superiors, obedience to the, to the church and obedience to God. So if you have that common dedication to that single uh, ideal per se, or organization or um, principle, that can supersede any attempts to dominate others. So, you know, run a bad deal in capitalism, like, yeah. Know, pull a scam on somebody. You're not going to pull a scam on somebody in your community when one, you live with a guy, and two, you both made you know promises of, of obedience. Does that make you're sense? You're committed to an ideal that's that's greater than any self interest you could have. I mean, I think that's a, a lot of the motivation we had, or at least I had for starting this podcast. I think a part of this is 
this just driving sense, you know, kind of sort of scratching at my back saying there needs to be more belief that can motivate actions beyond self-interest. Like, and what, it, what form that takes is something, well, I mean, that's what we're trying to figure out in a sense. Um, and it's really interesting to hear insight on that, but yeah, I do think that that is uh, a really, that's an eloquent way of putting it, I'd say. Um, there's and this it one's... makes sense because Jesuits and then, you know, liberation, liberation theology. I mean, that's, those things are sort of intimately connected, I feel. Either one of you can continue to dig as deep here because it's a good topic, but I sort of want to uh, also bridge to a number of others. And, and before we do, Josh, I want to know sort of all the training that you've been going through and that you're going to go through. Like, where are you at in this pipeline? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, let me, let me try to wrap the story up here real quick. So, um, finished the application process at the, at the house and uh, looked at my bishop and said, what do you want me to do for the summer? Um, he said, nothing. You've been going pretty hard for the last 10 years. You should just take summer off, show up to seminary in the fall. So I was like, wow, that's pretty amazing that you trust me with that level of freedom. Yeah. Um, so I took my motorcycle, rode it south from Alaska and um, basically did a whirlwind tour visiting a bunch of people um, got to stay with my family, um, got to basically reconnect with my youngest sister, who was three years old when I left the house, and now she's in middle school, and so really got to know her better, um, and showed up at seminary in the fall. <clears throat> so seminary um, is, uh, according to canon law, you need a minimum of uh, undergraduate degree and four years of theology studies before you can be ordained. A bishop is the one who ordains you, but he delegates your formation to the seminary. So Alaska doesn't have its own seminary because seminaries are expensive. You have to have priests and books and libraries and all that stuff. So they, uh, I go to the seminary in Illinois. Um, the prerequisite for studying theology is you have to have a philosophy background. So this is a fascinating a conversation. Cyrus, we've, we've, he, we, you know, he's taken Samantha and I couple hours in the car on trip car rides to elaborate on this one but josh say that again and and keep going <laughs> yeah so so in order to study theology the catholic church requires you have to have a, a background in philosophy and uh that is primarily because when you're studying theology a lot of the language and terms interpenetrate both disciplines so philosophical language is really useful talking about theology and vice versa. So um, I already had an undergraduate degree from West Point, but I didn't have enough philosophy. So I had to go to a two-year uh, philosophy program uh, and I got a master's in philosophy and religion. And then uh, I've finished two years, of my first two years of theology. So that's four total. I have three more years to go um, next month. I'll be starting what's called a pastoral internship. So I'll be going back to Fairbanks, uh, living at a parish, living with a priest, and going around kind of doing ministry teaching. Um, I'll also be doing hospital uh, visits and prison visits. Uh, and then at some point, I'll be going out to one of the rural, rural village communities uh, in Fairbanks for a number of months. Um, then after that, after that year, I'll come back and I'll have uh, two more years of study, uh, one semester of which 
will include a pilgrimage to the Holy Land um, for eight or nine weeks. Um, and so, yeah, where I'm at in that is uh, I'm in between. I'm basically just over the halfway point. I finished the first four years. and I've got three to go. Man, I didn't even realize, I guess, and, and maybe I, I don't maybe I'm being ignorant, but I think I speak for a lot of people that it's such an intensive program um, and it, it, the training is so long. Yeah. Yeah. I guess they want to really make sure you're committed. Well, and that, you know, they're producing quality. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So the and it's and it's difficult to translate into kind of the American academic framework because it's not strictly academic. So there's there's four different. Uh, dimensions of seminary formation spiritual that's your relationship with god are you praying are you going to sacraments are you uh, visiting with your spiritual director human are you uh having good fraternity can you relate well with others both sexes in different contexts can you know do you have good are you, like are you approachable can you carry on a conversation with people um intellectual academic so like do you actually know the nuts and bolts of what the church teaches and how to explain it to people in a way that they can understand? And then four is pastoral. Are you able to integrate those dimensions into a way that helps shepherd people, helps, helps people, you know, in, in charitable works? Like, so as an example, um, you know, serving the poor, helping uh, teach, um, teach catechesis, um, really just like being with people in their lives where they're at and helping them grow closer to God. That's, that's kind of essentially how pastoral works. So those four different dimensions are going on all the time. So it's not strictly just like class and essays and papers and, you know, research. It's, it's all of that going on at the same time. And as you mentioned before, like, it is a lifelong, lifelong commitment. And so there's, there's certain uh, uh, gateways per se that, um, and you get, you get feedback every year at a minimum, usually more depending on your situation of like, how does, uh, how are you doing with celibacy? How are you doing with, you know, the church's moral teaching on sex and marriage? How are you doing with whatever it is? And so it, and, so there's, they, they call it a discernment. So I'm discerning, I'm discerning a call to the priesthood. But at the same time, the bishop is the one who's ordaining me. And the church is the one who is, is, is like my bride. So you think of it in, in that sense, the church is also discerning me if I'm a good fit. And that happens through, you know, my bishop, my formation advisor, the seminary staff. So there's, there's this kind of give and take and growing in in relationship that way interesting so it's like in ways i feel like it's even more i mean in a lot of ways it's more committed than the military but it, you oh, know man, it's, there's it's, there's yeah. um the freedom to be able to leave uh or for you know to that that, that could happen at any time almost requires mm -hmm. more out of you because if you're forced to stay well is it really a commitment um, you right. know, <laughs> but it doesn't really sound like, you know, you are necessarily, um, that things could change or you could discern that maybe, you know, maybe this isn't for me. Um, so halfway through that process, do you, do you, how are you feeling about it? Yeah. Good question, Cyrus. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> maybe we can get into this, this topic, uh, off podcast sometime, but 
I knew I was called to the priesthood about a month after getting to seminary. And interesting. And I had, I had felt like, yeah, we can get into stories later, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, it, it, it did not take me very long because I had been searching for what is going to be like my calling way before I even got to the point of seminary, kind of back to my story in the army, just like, yeah, just struggling with like, you know, come home and, or wake up in the morning and be like, what am I doing? Um, and so, yeah, after being, after being in the seminary for one semester, like, and seeing the guys that were there talking to priests, like really for the first time, I would say getting a, a, a real authentic picture of what the priesthood means and what it could mean for me. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be, I'm not, I'm not ready, but that's what I want. Mm, like, yeah, that's what I, that's, that's the only way I know that I will be, that, that it's possible for me to be satisfied. Finally see some cl- real clarity in, wow. in yeah. your, your vision for the future. Yeah. Josh. And it, I, yeah. And it, and it, it I mean, it, it grows, it grows. And that's, and my story is definitely not, not typical. I would say most guys, it's much more of a gradual process throughout seminary where they're like, you know, you know, and you, it, they're just back and forth. I know guys that have, have left the seminary for a couple of years and go and try to do the married thing. And then they, then they came back. They're like, nope. Yeah. I had to work on some stuff and, and grow on some affective maturity and then come back and then they're ready to be priests. So it, every, every priestly vocation is a, is a different, unique journey. Um, but yeah, mine was like, I'm, I'm in, man. I, I want to give, I want to give my life to to god and to his people yeah you know what man i just i i appreciate you and praise god for you because you know what um one concept that god's been yanking me through and around is the kingdom of god and the kingdom of god has like an upside down value system to like you know what we grow up with and so um man it's just really motivating i appreciate it you used a really good word earlier but it's beautiful um you know, literally marrying people for God through the service of God to honor him and, and, and glorify Jesus. So yeah, dude, um, I really appreciate that. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think if you, if you don't mind me jumping in here for a sec, um, I feel like basically based on what you were describing about your, your calling to that position at the beginning, um, you know, I think a lot of people probably would be like, man, the Catholic Church, like of all avenues to go down, you know, that, that's the one you choose uh, for, for leadership or for service, uh, you know, but based off of what you're describing, it's like even even joining the chaplaincy specifically, it's not so much like you're there to serve the army, um, but it's a path to serve soldiers and people. Um, and it's a path that just made sense for you. Uh, and that's, I think, is uh, something that maybe gets lost for a lot of people when you have some sort of commitment to a big organization. Is, is it's not necessarily doesn't seem to be. Well, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I, I don't want to like um, put words in Josh's story. And Cyrus, maybe we'll just not do a post analysis and just talk about Josh with Josh here. But like, um, <laughs> but you know, I, I don't I don't know if it if it makes sense because if you knew Josh, you know what I mean. I, th- I think it was pretty. You know, it was it was assumed that he would, you know, 
have a big Catholic family or whatever else, right? Um, as I've known, become a general, have a big Catholic family. Yeah, right, or whatever. Yeah, at least a colonel. Um, he's Catholic. Um, yeah. But you know, for him, because I also heard in between the lines there that like there was a um, a discontentment that was deeper than logic, right? And then there's this piece that transcends his own understanding to give him a confidence of like, I'm not racing through this but I'm where I'm supposed to be. And you know, that it's, it's more than emotional or logical. It's, it's a manifestation into spiritual. Yeah. I think a lot of people seem to be seeking peace right now and it can be hard to come by. Uh, oh, yeah. So it's a almost invaluable priceless commodity um, to, to an extent. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm happy so, for you. That so you Josh, um, like that. yeah, dude, I, I, I want to ask you about everything. Um, but I, I want to ask maybe about one or two more things, sort of your perspective and your, your journey going through this, not just the narrative, but sort of the spiritual learning and how that relates to some of what Cyrus and I are doing here, which is like, man, you've been in this process where we had this last election, where you've seen a lot of people who are maybe less committed uh, to their beliefs or to the practical application and the journey of spiritual growth that you've been, you know, all over the place in this country. So man, as you've been going through your master's in philosophy and your master's in theology and, you know, in your off time serving people in rural communities, um, what have you, what, what have you learned and what are you learning and what would you share with that? Has that shaped your political convictions at all? Yeah. 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 So gosh, there's, um, don't mean to give you an extremely broad question there. No, yeah, I mean, I, it's a great question and I, and I, I want to be respectful of our time. I don't know what you guys are thinking about this, but um, I'll answer it by starting with, and I think we talked about this before, Chase, uh, the Latin phrase, conversatio in celis est, which means our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, it's from Philippians chapter three, I think. Uh, Big Philippians guy. I didn't get that far in the memorization though. Yeah, um, and it and it speaks to kind of what you're talking about before the reality of the kingdom of heaven. Um, Did a quick Google search. Yeah, I'm, I'm twenty. Um, yeah, I'm here as well. Right. Um, yeah, the the context. Whoever is there, just read the whole book of Philippians. There's only four chapters, but <laughs> three is super great. Um, He's talking about people who don't have their citizenship in heaven. In verse 19, Josh, I'll cue you up. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship, and he's talking to people who are being persecuted in Philippi, is in heaven, for, uh, from which we also eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So... I would pair that section uh, with the Pharisees trying to trap Jesus. And, and what is the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So in that greatest commandment, there's, a, there's an ordering. There's an ordering. First, love God. Then, love your neighbor as yourself. That order is very specific for, for a good reason, because like we talked about before, if we are all united, mm -hmm. oriented 
on God, all pointing the same direction, that can be our reference point when we get discombobulated and we can all come back into sync with God. Whereas if I make uh, love my neighbor as myself first and then love God, it's a, it's a dis, it's a disordering in the sense that, you know, we can, we can do good for our neighbor, but at a certain point that is going to break down because not all the instances where like you're good and my good are the same. At some point there has to be a winner and there has to be a loser in certain, you know, avenues and dimensions of life. And the only way that, that through that is if you're all oriented on God. So in, in my, uh, political life i was i was one of those guys who saw myself as a servant of the republic and so i didn't i didn't participate in national uh politics when i was in the army i can attest to this i would get uh, political and he'd be like dude you should be you know a servant of the republic you should not be um and we disagreed on this so i remember and testify to you thinking this interesting yeah yeah i i definitely i don't know i do not subscribe to that anymore um, because the citizenship of heaven includes the duty for the care of a common home here on earth. And so they, they, there, is, there is a Christian duty to participate in where you live, in the community, in the civic, civic roles that you have. Um, that being said, I would, I would point back to another scripture verse uh, in John 15, what we talked about last time. Um, big John 15 guy or John 15 and Matthew seven, in the sense of you shall know them by their fruits. And I'm a big Matthew seven guy sermon on the Mount. Yeah. Basically a fig tree will not produce thorns and a th- thorns will not produce figs. Like you'll know. And he says, cause I've mentioned them before false, you know, uh, teachers and wolves in sheep's clothing by their fruits. Correct. So bring it, bringing that into, into the flesh, into reality and in American political life in the United States. Um, knowing them by their fruits. The, the challenge of the authentically uh, informed Christian is in the two-party system in the United States, Christians are politically homeless if they're authentic to their faith because neither party holistically subscribes to all the Christian values and virtues. So what does that mean? You have to get you have to get complicated and you have to break it down by issue and make a subjective judgment of, okay, if my relationship with God, which is primary in my life, because that's what what Jesus says, you know, I love God and I love my neighbor as myself, like I have to make a decision based on whatever election it is, national, local, over a specific issue, whatever. I have to make that decision in accordance with my relationship with God. And basically, so for, for myself, like looking at a specific election, which candidate do I think will result in the most beneficial fruits for the kingdom of God? And so I don't, I don't. Interesting. I don't put, That's fascinating. I don't put, Sorry. I cut in on you because. Go for it. It's not for the defense of the nation or for the righteousness of the nation or for the most helping people, whatever it's, but you're doing a fruit for the kingdom metric, not fruit for the country metric. 
it's yeah, they're Some not of those they're can not, be intertwined, but they're, yeah, they're right, not but, always yeah. intertwined. Yeah. Correct correct. Yeah. They're not they're not mutually exclusive, but they're not uh symbiotic either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's if I make one one plug here, uh this book, Things Worth Dying For, uh Thoughts on Life Worth Living. It's a retired archbishop who is very involved in, in uh, football. He used to be the Archbishop of Philadelphia. He does a very good job of dissecting Christian uh, belief with patriotism and nationalism. So it's, it's, cause it's complicated, but it's like there are aspects of patriotism that are worth, um, worth supporting. Cause like, you know, you think back to early church, Greek city state, like, I would be identified by my city state. That would be part of my, you know, scriptural. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, St. Augustine, the city of God, like we are oriented towards the heavenly Jerusalem. So it's, you know, part of our, part of an identity. Um, but again, like I said, our citizenship is in heaven in the sense that the end of which we are oriented is not here. It's not this here and now, this here and now is important, but it's not the end. So it's, yeah, it's, it's complicated and, and uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely have been uh, struggling with a lot of political stuff recently and particularly uh, political stuff within the church for the record. There's no such thing as a conservative Catholic, a liberal Catholic, not, not a real thing. Like there's just Catholics. Like, do you believe what the church teaches or not? Like it's, you know, one of my one of my professors calls it, it, it. It uses the football uprights analogy. Like, this is the boundaries. If you're in the boundaries. You're good. If you're not. Right. You're. You know. What are you doing? You're not. You're not Catholic. That's fine. You know. Just don't pretend that you're in the boundaries if you're not in the boundaries. So, yeah. Hmm. Um, and another thing that makes it very challenging to dialogue with with um, politics and Christians in general is that the United States and the American church is very unique in our separation of church and state, which is not something that is uh, dogma or doctrine by the church in any, in any respects. Um, the, the church holds that, you know, our life in Christ, our life in God should permeate every aspect of our lives. So there, so there should not be necessarily uh, a division there. Um, and I don't want to get into, you know, Western civilization history, but uh, it's a complicated issue. Yeah, I mean, like France, you know, was was a Catholic state. It, and that was it was intimately intertwined to the point it, it, inextricable, um, which I think is interesting, too, because, you know, France is also now like the country or well, those countries that were like that are now the countries with like the least religious participation. Um, but you know, that doesn't mean that that's not to to say that that proves any one way or the other, but it's just a a, a curious side effect, I think. Um, Josh, I don't know why I'm asking, maybe it's for somebody out there that, you know, a lapsed Catholic, lapsed Christian or whatever. Um, man, you've been in the weeds and thick of it, elbow deep neck deep and all and and you know what um what would you recommend to somebody that um is maybe far away from god 
hasn't talked to God for a long time, or, you know, what's, what's the, what's the best next step for that person? On a very simple human level, much like you two brothers are doing right now, take your relationships seriously in the sense of your relationships with the people around you and primarily your relationship with God. Um, if you've been far away from God, that's okay. You know, you look at the story of the prodigal son. He will always welcome you back. If you're honest, honest with yourself about it. Um, that's, I think, I think the biggest, the biggest thing, um, you know, we have, we live in a, in a time and place of, of supreme affluence. Um, you know, we, we are Americans. We want for nothing on a physical level, on a human level. And, um, and yet, and yet we're never fully satisfied. We're never fully satisfied. So it, it, it begins, I might jump in there and say we're actually profoundly dissatisfied. Well, I, well, I would agree. For a little agree. levity, and to quote The Simpsons, Mr. Burns, oh, I'd, uh, I'd give it all for just a little more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, it kind of harkens back, I think, to what you were saying about, um, you know, if, you're, if you were married, you know, you, that marriage is, is, or your bride is like the... Uh, manifestation of god's love shown to you shown to him um and in and in the same way you know like you have to love god first and then after that you would love your neighbors yourself and it's the same thing i mean it's 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 just a representation of that greater love for a whole thing and i have a, a different understanding of god than i think both of you do but i would largely agree in sentiment at least um that that the the whole of the spirit um is should be the priority what well, uh, and, and then everything else you know trickles downhill from there this might be an extra credit take but you know cyrus if anybody can run a lap or two with you on the philosophy side because i know even with matt chrisman we had you know spoken about the philosophy um, of god undergirding communism and sort of you've used the example of like a net and we're all knots on this net but ultimately like our individuality isn't a thing it's just a modern conception you know if you have any claims you want to run by joss just to see his response um i'd be happy to watch well yeah i mean if you going off of what that that description which i i still subscribe to to in a general sense at least of this idea that um you know the self uh you know like like you were saying josh when you enter heaven heaven is just full communion with God and full communion with everything else um, that exists in the universe. Um, or at least, I mean, I don't know. I don't mean to put words in, words in your mouth, but that's sort of how I think of it uh, to, to a certain extent that, well, I, I think of it as God being that whole communion with the universe, um, the whole subsumption of the individual into a greater, uh, you know, unified collective. Um, and if that's heaven, then I'm right there. Well, with. And so I, I want to throw a grenade in here, Josh, I'll let you respond after, but it's like, we were talking about it in Bible study last night to, 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 for too long. I actually think there is unequal rewards given to us in heaven. Um, like heaven isn't just the presence of God. There, there are other things going on there as well. It's, it's fully the presence of God, but it's more than just everyone is perfectly equal. 
um, in a, in, in a weird sense. I don't want to get too far into it, but Josh, take it away. Yeah. So, uh, gosh, there's so many things. First of all, um, what you're talking about, Cyrus, is you're, you're searching for what is only realized in the Trinity. And Trinitarian theology is really difficult to digest. But the most simple way to, to understand it is, is the Trinity, three persons in one, one God, three persons. So the first person is the Father, who is the lover, the one who loves. Second person is the son, the beloved, the one who receives the love. The third person is the Holy Spirit, who is the love, the bond of love between the lover and the beloved. Mm -hmm. And so what you're searching for in a communion of God is entering into that, that dynamic of lover, beloved, and love in between them. And so, would you say, just, just to clarify that like, or is it Catholic theology that those three things like exist within us at all times in, or, or, or is that, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Is that, is that something we have access to? It is something we have access to by virtue of our baptism. Um, so for people who are not baptized, um, it's possible to come to knowledge of the Trinity um, through gosh, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. This is a, we're getting, this, this is pretty deep. This is like, yeah, I mean, and, and, this is beyond my expertise. We'll keep it on, but, the, on the same lane too. I mean, I think there's like, you know, it says in Romans one that like um, understanding from what has been made, like namely God's divine power and his uh, eternal nature. Like we can basically discern that there is a God and God can reveal himself to us through anything, including nature. But Jesus is also pretty clear as Josh was saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me because he's God. Therefore, if you don't accept Jesus, you don't accept God. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I feel like I, I, I know what you're talking about, even though it is high level and I'm not in you know, that, that lane of theology, but this idea of like coming to an intellectual understanding that mm -hmm. that is how things are. But the, the felt motivate, self-motivating or self-animating spirit of that existing within me, I know I don't have yet. It's something I'm working towards, something I'm trying to build. Um, obviously, you know, you believe that that's something that can you get through baptism in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, while I would, you know, say that I don't think that's the only way, I think that that is, to get that uh, is, I think, something a lot of people seek, even if they don't know that that's what they're seeking. Mm. Ab you're absolutely right you're absolutely right the and to tie it back in too like so the trinity that i just described all three portions were also the same god that created us from before creation so like chase psalm 139 like before uh i am wonderfully made you Fearfully made me wonderful. before before i was born so like the the animating principle that gives your body a soul that was created by God and the mind of God before you even conceived of your mother's womb. And so the, the God that you meet in heaven, the partaking in that Trinity is also the same God who created you before time when you existed only in the mind of God. Mm. And so, and so, 
to your to your desire, Cyrus, in the sense that that inner dynamic exists in you in as much as you acknowledge that you are created by him, created by mm. God, because God doesn't make junk, you know, right. He, he created, he created us in his image and likeness. And so, you know, it is, it is, and he gave us free will. And so it is our, he loves us so much that he gave us free will in order to accept his image and likeness in our bodies or to reject it because if, it, if he had forced it on us, it's not really true love, you know, like that's what's one of the beauty things about free will. Like yeah. God doesn't force us on anything. He wants us to want to be with him. Love is the center of it. Um, whether you're able to um, make that translation is, is fully up to you. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I think, to me, I see that as being like the transcendence of the ego and the transcendence of, of this, the illusion of the self, um, the illusion, the illusion of a disconnection from, from the spiritual and from God. Um, and that is, you know, in a society that is promulgates this idea of the ego being the center of the universe. I mean, that's liberalism in the Western sense of the word in total is this idea that, you know, we are all self animated objects moving about the world, imposing our will onto it. Um, maybe our, I, I think that that's an illusion. Maybe our last add-on here, though, and I think it just exemplifies what we were just saying about God's love, is this concept of sin, though, because one, Cyrus, you mentioned liberalism, like that conveniently, really personally conveniently omits sin as like, yes, like love will triumph overall, but like we still have this problem that we are offensive towards God. And we have the wrath of God on us and we need his love. Otherwise, like even Christians who think they're going to heaven, like as Jesus says, we'll find out one day that they are surprised that he never knew them. And so I think that like there's also something that we have to tell, you know, in our current states without that love of the Holy Spirit, as Josh was talking about, we even if we're good people, it's not good enough. Like we are we are we are sinful without God's love and forgiveness in us. Josh, yeah, that, I mean, to translate that to sort of like how I would envision, you know, like I think, yeah, like if you are, you can be a good person your whole life and still fear death, um, which to me is a version of hell, you know, a, a fear of the of the black um, of the lights out at the you know end of the Sopranos um, like that is something I would hope to overcome. And I think you overcome that through uh, a peace that you get through a devotion to the spiritual and to God uh, for, you know, to, to use it in the, uh, the philosophical sense, I guess. Josh, I'll give you the last word. It's <laughs> a lot there. I know we're, 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 we're crisscrossing all over, but it's, yeah, I, so I love talking all, about stuff like this. You're all over the place. Um, yeah, I think, I think to what you were talking about before, Cyrus, um, you know, about this, uh, I'm trying to think the word you, the, would you say transcendent ego in the sense that transcendence of the ego? Yeah. yeah. Like to go beyond yeah. the self. Right. So to me, that just speaks of like, that's kind of what I said before where you love God first and then love your neighbor yourself that flipped in the disordered, like, and mm in the sense that it, like, if we make man the measure of all things, if we make, you know, 
so uh, okay here's here's another angle to go about it like looking at history and the definition of insanity definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result looking at history and, and trying to pick the perfect civilization the perfect society um you know there's no way it, it hasn't existed like utopia doesn't exist it's not yeah. it doesn't exist in in earth in planet earth where we can participate in it um and so but to think that we can create it on our own that's just it's 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 mind-boggling just looking at history like you know we have we have technology and we have new knowledge and we have science and and studies and sociology and all the stuff i don't think that we've evolved to the point where we can create our own utopia and i, I would uh yeah go ahead go ahead sorry i don't mean to interrupt and and i just want to say i mean looking back at history like there's definitely been rise and falls of certain civilizations and so i i think that the what needs to happen is for us collectively to realize like, okay, there's no way that this problem is going to be solved by only human meat. Like we need mm. something beyond humanity. Does that make sense? Am I I, yeah. I mean, I, I fully agree. Um, I think, you know, my conception of that is probably different than yours, but I mean, it, like you were talking about at the very beginning of this conversation with, you know, communism existing within the monastery system and, and within when that that sort of uh, lifestyle. Uh, so I believe that, you know, that's evidence that it is possible for those things to exist on Earth. The mission of socialism or communism is to break that out of the bounds of, you know, one unit or one cell and to help people realize that that can exist that it doesn't need borders on earth, but I fully agree that uh, that can't happen just out of human need or self-interest. It has to go way beyond self-interest. And, you know, I think whether that's, you know, a, the Christian God or uh, some uh, different understanding of sort of the same concept, I have gotten to the point in my own journey where I do think that that's a necessary ingredient to, you know, get the kingdom of heaven onto earth. Yeah. Yeah. So what would be, what would you, how would you describe like, um, the, maybe the, the glue that would unite a socialist society together and also respect free will? Um, well, I think that actions are motivated by belief. Um, for sure, but it's the uniting of self-interest and the understanding of like, cause at the end of the day, like being a Christian or is a self-interested thing too, um, because you want the best possible outcome for your own peace, happiness, satisfaction, uh, and you know, success, but also the reward of heaven, uh, afterwards, is, is even if it's not what purely motivates you, it's certainly part of the equation. And similarly, uh, the bringing together of people's self-interests or coming into a better understanding of self-interest as, uh, you know, if you're in, in the same 
or like if you if if not if everyone isn't free then you aren't free um is is sort of like something i feel like i've intellectually rationalized to myself or have come to an understanding of but haven't fully internalized in a you know spiritual sense um but if if, if that answers your question maybe maybe i'm being a little obtuse about it but yeah i I don't know. I'm trying I, to think. I think ahead. that it's like it's it's free will and self-interest rightly understood. It's um, you know, this this idea that like, yeah, everyone has free will, of course, but there is a right answer to that free will. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we probably generally agree on what that right answer is, um, to, to at least it, on a very, very base level. Uh, but you know, I, I mean, how, how to get there? Well, that's part of, that's part of the process of figuring that out. And that is the mission of, of socialists today is to present that vision of how to well, arrive at that, what, without restricting people's freedoms in a, you know, and Cyrus, we've been talking about this a couple times, but I'll say it because it links and, and is in the line and stream of what Josh said earlier. Number one, I think a lot of Americans particularly will not accept a system with, without minority rights. So just throw that to the side. Um, but I like what Josh said, uh, quoting Matthew in, in this, this greatest commandment and literally then like the he, Jesus says, the second is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself, um, is that like we are to love ourselves like based on how God loves us. Like that's our, like I, otherwise I'll love myself in a terrible way based on what I think I deserve. So I'm, my identity is based on what God says about me, not based on what I've done or what I do or what I will do in that way. I get the opportunity to love other people based on how God loves me. Right. And he extend the mercy that I'm extended which is just, you know, mind boggling. So in that way, though, I think it's an interesting concept for, you know, the benefit of people and for your own, you know, exploration is like, God gives us free will. Um, We were just talking about like, you know, the prodigal son and our pre-conversation and Josh has referenced it, like God does not chase after the person who, uh, the the prodigal son who leaves his father's house. In that way, I think a system that forces people to uh, use their free will righteously is a system that doesn't love like God. God allows us to screw it up and even allows us to bear the penalty of it sometimes. And even, you know, for eternity. So I guess what I'm saying is um, for us to have a system, even though it might be better for more people to force people to use that free will in a good way, isn't a system how God loves us. Does that make sense? Well, uh, no, I, I understand that. And, and this is sort of getting into the, the, you know, the mechanics of how we would get there, of course, but that I, yeah, like you can't force someone to be a communist, I don't think, but you can show them in ways how it can be better than, you know, what we currently have now, which is a society based totally off of wrongly understood self-interest, because as you said, Josh, you know, you know, or, and, and Chase, like, obviously if you're trying to love your neighbor as yourself, like a necessary component of that is, uh, is mercy, but it's uh, it, sacrifice and the ultimate sacrifice is also inextricable from God's love for us. Um, so those are, those are, you know, 
those are tricky concepts. And that's why I like having these conversations because I'm still working that out for myself. Um, and it's really this stuff like this is super useful to me. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, I guess that's sort of where my head's yeah, at. And I'll put one last little ringer on it too. Josh sent me something as I was going through this political existential crisis in the election. And it was some guidance he'd gotten from his diocese. And, you know, fast forwarding to the conclusion is that what I took from that piece of literature was that as a Christian, my highest obligation wasn't to pragmatism, right? And I think I, I have, I not think I have fallen into the, well, the lesser of two evils all the freaking time. And my obligation is to righteousness, right? Like it says in, you know, Hebrews right before, and this is a, an example, like some men did not accept release from torture and imprisonment so that they may gain a better resurrection. Their obligation was to the kingdom of God and its values and to what God was telling them not to, well, I'm only given two options. And so it, the, the scripture put it, or the, not the scripture, the literature put it, your highest obligation is to righteousness, not to pragmatism. And that was almost a bit freeing for me to go, you know what? You're right. I need to be seeing what Jesus is telling me about this and what scripture says about this, not what, talking heads with microphones that are religious or not have to say about this. Like I am capable of making this decision alone with God and F everybody else. Cause they might be blind guides and hypocrites. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, hence our, our new logo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, right on. Um, freaking Josh, can we keep, you know what? We'd love to check in with you. Maybe even yeah. after you do some, some rural, you know, um ministry out there um we love you dude very very much thank you for your time and um yeah anything else you want to add on before we uh before we close down shop oh yeah so much uh i'd love to riff <laughs> just like maybe off podcast and catch up on the personal life when here's some more stories from you cyrus um the last thing i do want to uh address that i thought of after the fact uh just talking about the priesthood um, just so you guys understand, one of the challenges that I'm going to face is uh, being a chaplain in the Army is the federal government and the Army doesn't treat priests like priests. It treats them like chaplains. And what I mean by that is in the eyes of the world, a Catholic priest is some conglomeration of a CEO of a small-time NGO, a medieval shaman, and an unlicensed psychiatrist. But none of those is actually what, the, what a priest really is. A, a priest is someone who offers sacrifice, one who offers sacrifice, that's what that means. So I offer the mm -hmm. sacrifice of the mass, sacrifice on behalf of others for them to, you know, there's four aspects of sacrifice. Um, and the other thing, as a part of the sacrifice of the priesthood, it's also a common misconception and I'm not saying you guys said this, but it's, a, it's out there. People think that people join the priesthood because they couldn't get a girlfriend or they didn't like girls or they have same-sex attraction or something like that. It's a requirement to be an integrated sexually attractive, uh, in, integrated sexual attraction in order to become a celibate. Because if you don't have an attraction, there is no sacrifice. As an mm -hmm. example, there, you know, the characteristics of a father and a priest, a good one, are the same. So I have a, I have a desire for a, a wife 
and children and a family. And that is what I give up. I sacrifice that desire, that very good. It's the first, you know, fruit, that good goodness of a family to God. And he takes that sacrifice and then uses it for, you know, for his will through my ministry. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that because there's a lot of people that, that pit, you know, professional religious people against married people when in reality they're, they're mutually supportive of each other. Right. Um, so yeah, one's, yeah. one's the cornerstone of, of all the rest. Um, that's, uh, that's interesting. I, I think a lot of people definitely have a very human or, you know, yeah, yeah, a very human basic understanding of, of what it means to go into the priesthood rather than a theological and philosophical one like that. So. And maybe I should have introduced Josh this way, but um, when I reference him in our conversations or what I've read based on what he's given me, I said, I've got one of my best friends studying to become a priest. And then like, you know, to the white Southern Christian. <gasps> and I'm like, don't worry. Like he loves Jesus. He's good. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. Right on. Yeah. Right on. So. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Josh. It was a riveting conversation. I look forward to catching up offline and, uh, and hearing more from you down the road. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. But principles are eternal. And this has been a contest over a principle. In this contest, brother has been arrayed against brother, father against son. It is for these that we speak. We do not come as aggressors. Our war is not a war of conquest. We are fighting in defense of our homes, our families, and posterity. This has been Cross of Gold. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'd like to thank Sant Invictus for producing our intro and outro songs. And uh, look forward to seeing you next time.